This morning we are in uh, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, according to St. John, chapter 9, or chapter 19, beginning in the second half of verse 25. Uh, this is just a weird trivia thing. You see it says 1925b. Um, those A, B, C, if you see that on a scripture, it's, it's just made up. Uh, wherever I want to start it, that's where B is, uh, which happens to begin, be at the beginning of a, serv- a sentence here. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his own home. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, In order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop, and they held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Amen. Let's pray this morning. Lord God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for what we see here today. The death of Christ our Lord on our behalf. In complete unity with us, that we might be in complete unity with you, Lord God. I pray today that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be pleasing to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. For the last several weeks, since Ash Wednesday, we have been making our way at this church uh, through what are called the seven last words of Christ. And the seven last words is this tool that the church has developed across the centuries uh, that maybe, uh, that plenty of churches do, um, where if you look across the four Gospels, you find seven different things that Jesus said. Not seven literal words, but seven sayings of Jesus. Some of them are longer, some of them are shorter. And this week we have... reached I am thirsty, or as traditionally we just hear it, I thirst, I thirst. And actually, uh, this has a whole lot of meaning to me. When I went to seminary, uh, we had chapel services, and the particular table under, under here, most of the year, it would say, well, this one says it, in remembrance of me, which is what Jesus says at the Last Supper. But for Lent, they would turn it around, and on the back of it, it said, I thirst. And so it's this witness in front of us of, of how God has chosen to be needy like us in order to save us. Uh, in order to meet our needs. I'm particularly moved by this particular week of Scripture. I've been here since July, and this is the first time uh, I've spoken about the death of Christ, certainly other times, but this is the first time that I've read from the Scriptures of His death for us. And it's incredibly meaningful to me that we would do that together. Then He bowed His head and gave up His spirit. And it kind of points to the whole reason we've been looking at these seven last words of Christ is because because over time, the death of Christ can, which is united with with the other things Christ has done and said and how he has been raised, uh, the most important thing that has ever happened, and it can just be kind of, yeah, I know that. 
we aren't moved by it anymore. And, and so my hope is, is that we would be moved together, that we would take a moment from time to time, including this morning, and mark that, that we are still called to be moved and be transformed by this. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. God has died for us. Christ has died for me. Christ has died for you. Christ has died for the whole world that all of us might experience life even on the other side of death. This is a big deal. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. But it really begs the question to us of, of who, who is this one who has died? We know his name, Jesus, but who was he and why does it matter and how does it matter? And this is exactly what we get into. Last week, word uh, of, of Jesus was, was Mary being called to be the mother of John now. And John being called to be the son of Mary, this is happening at, this, at the foot of the cross, this new family that God is creating. And it ties into this week because even as Jesus is speaking this, when he's speaking it last week, he says uh, to, to, uh, uh, to Mary, his mother, woman, here is your son, speaking of the disciple John, the, the gospel writer. And speaking to the disciple, here is your mother. And it says, and from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. And so immediately this is telling us, this is not just care about one another, have good thoughts for each other, not even pray for one another, but care for one another's bodies. Mary, my mother, will have needs and she needs a roof over her head. It's your job to provide that. She needs food on her table. It's your job to provide that. And John, my disciple, he needs you, and you need him. We need one another, and we need one another to serve one another and to be served, to love and to be loved. This is happening, and it happens as we are. And so I, I say that it's, it's hard to underline it enough. Christianity is not just a spirituality. It's not just about spirits. It's about bodies. That's why we gather, uh, uh, why we believe it's our Christian calling to have people on the ground feeding people or, or digging wells or clothing people. Meeting the needs of bodies all around the world. That's why we have this special offering today. That's why we have the food pantry downstairs. Uh, that's why we gather today. is because God cares for us as human beings and meets our human needs. Not just spiritual needs, but physical needs. Emotional needs. Relational needs. Psychological needs. And so here we are and we have Jesus on the cross among his last teachings, he's creating a new family of people who care for one another physically. I don't think you've ever thought about this, but in this church, if you've ever brought chicken and noodles or a casserole or whatever to someone who's sick or they just had a baby, all these sorts of things, you are living into what Christ has already done on the cross when he says, care for one another. Not just, I'm thinking about you. Not just send a text message, but show up. Invite. Share a meal. Do all this work that we think of as just kind of nice or kind or good manners or old-fashioned or all this sort of stuff. It is Christianity that we are called to live out and that we need to be living out. It's embodied. Folks who have been part of the Bible study have, have experienced that, that one of the tools that I think that, that we need to bring to our study of the Bible is, is our bodies. 
That is, that, that we bring all of our physical senses, you know, the ones that we hear, our, our hearing and our sight and our, our smell and our sense of touch and, and all our senses to the scriptures. And when we do that, we find that, that God is speaking into our lives. Once again, we're talking about bodies here. And so we have Jesus on the cross and, and it says that Jesus sees. And so when we see someone seeing something in the scriptures, we say, I can see. What would it look like? And so to be above and to be looking down and to be in tremendous pain in your body and to bring your senses to bear and, and what does Jesus hear? Does he hear not only the, the crowds jeering sometimes, sometimes weeping, the people suffering alongside him, but, but what else does he hear? And what does he feel? Well, he's, he's naked or mostly naked there on the cross and, the, and that cross isn't comfortable. And is there, is there blood on it from the last victim? And what does it feel like to be on the cross? And what insects are out on that day? And what's the heat? Is it too hot? Is it too cold? It's probably not just right. Nothing is just right when you're out there on the cross. And then his vision, as he looks down and he sees Mary and Mary and Mary, it's a very common name in the scriptures, and he sees John, and, and he's looking at them, and, and they lock eyes on this particular way of using this sense where you can't look away and you can't bear to look at the same time. For him to look at his mother and to know what she's going through. And for her to look at him and to know what he's going through and all these memories coming through. And most of these memories, again, are embodied memories. The reason that Jesus meant something to the people in his life is because they shared a meal. Or because he fed them. Or because he healed them. Or because they felt his touch and his love from his presence in their lives. That's why they matter. That's why he mattered to them. And so all of this is coming together to show us that bodies matter here at the cross just as they have met from the beginning. That Mary and Jesus have this special relationship. This relationship that links their bodies together and will always link their bodies together. That Mary knew before anybody else that, that God was coming into the world through her body. Because the angel came to her. And there's a whole lot miraculous going on, but the singular miracle that happens, that, that, that immaculate conception, that's just the beginning. It's a regular pregnancy after that. And she knows, for the folks who, who are in this room that know far better than I can ever know, what that feels like and what that is like. That there's this connection that... that God has become entirely dependent on a human body as he takes on his own human body. And just as with every pregnancy and every child that we saw up here, their, their mothers and God co-created those beautiful children. And that is what happened to Jesus in his body, that the eternal Son of God is born of Mary. And as we all know, the dependency doesn't end when he is born, but he nurses, and he is fed, and he is cleansed, and he is clothed, and he is taught, and he falls, and he scrapes his knee, and he is picked up, and he is helped, and he gets sick, and he is helped, and he becomes a teenager, and he smells bad, and Mary is there beside him, and she's with him all the way, all the way, all the way, all the way, and they are connected bodily, and she knows him as her son. No longer can God be somewhere in a history book or, or something that you hear about, a synagogue or a church. God is near. 
And God is like us. And why has God become like us? God's become like us for us. After this, this is verse 28, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, I am thirsty. And when he says it and people around him hear it, and when we hear it, we are meant to think back with them, with John, with Mary, with all those who have been there from the beginning. I am thirsty. This is the one who's saying, I am thirsty. He is the one, thanks Mary, that was thirsty and would cry out before, and I knew his cry. And I knew what it felt like. And I knew what my body, how my body itself responded to his cries. It's responding again. And there are others there that think back, and, and John in particular, this is the gospel that tells us that Jesus' first miracle was about meeting human thirsts. He turns water into wine. This gospel tells us, and all the gospels tell us, that Jesus is tied to caring for bodies throughout his ministry. He turns water into wine. He feeds thousands. He heals broken body parts. He heals illnesses. He, he, he's freeing people. And he does this, and he does this, and he does this, and now he becomes the helpless one. Those who don't believe are quick to point it out. If you're the Messiah, pull yourself down from the cross. If you're the Messiah, save yourself. If you're the Messiah, if you're the Messiah, if you're the Messiah. But he shows that he is not the kind of Messiah we would make in our image. But he is God who has come among us. He's the God who has come to save us. And in order to do that, he has entered into our need. To need like us. The Christian faith is still a scandal to other faiths of the world, some other faiths of the world. Because we proclaim that the God who has no needs, who made all things, become, became intensely needy. What is more needy than an infant? What is more helpless than a man who is literally pinned to this cross? He cannot feed himself. He cannot meet his thirst. He cannot scratch his eyebrow or whatever he needs in this moment. He is totally dependent on others. And not only is he dependent on others, he's dependent on those who have nailed him there. It's not Mary that can go forth and she can offer him a drink. It's those who nailed him there that can offer him a drink. And he speaks, I am thirsty, yes, in order to fulfill the scriptures, but also in order to fulfill why he has come. When we think about it, I am thirsty is our most basic need. We know that, that after oxygen, that is the thing that we cannot do without. Food, sure, gets unpleasant, but we can do without it for a little while water. I thirst. That he gets to this need within us that we have all kinds of wants, all kinds of needs, all kinds of desires that we try to meet in all kinds of ways. But thirst is something we cannot do anything about. We are created as needy people and God became needy like us. And in fact, it goes deeper than just humanity. But you think about when he says, I thirst, animals thirst too. 
plants thirst too. He becomes the needy parts of creation, all the needy parts of creation. Why is that? It's because God wants to save and God wants to redeem everywhere and to leave nothing untouched by God's redemption. So that when we go through the blessings of life, we can say, God is with us. When we go through the sufferings of life, we can say, God is with us. When we go through the things that we just take for granted so much that we don't even think about it, like I thirst, God is with us. And the big things, and the small things, and the insignificant things, and the life-sustaining things, God has entered into our need and say, I need with you. So when we need the big healings in our bodies that we've been praying about this morning, or that we have on our hearts, God knows what it is to need. When you have the big prayers for our relationships that are under strain and under stress, God is with us and God is creating relationship from the cross. When we feel just on our own, God is with us. When we feel insignificant and God couldn't notice my problems, if God notices the problem of thirst, God notices all our problems. And God is with us. And God will never leave us. And God will never forsake us. And God has become thirsty. God has become thirsty. The one who can turn water into wine has become thirsty. The one who created water in the first place has become thirsty. The one who created human bodies to have their needs met in particular ways has become thirsty. And as this wine is offered to him, we're reminded of the last time that he drank wine, which was just the night before. When he gathers his disciples around that table, we'll remember that in a moment together. But among the things that he said is, I will not drink of this until I am in my Father's kingdom. And here he is. He's on the cross. His first miracle was to make not just wine, but good wine. And what is he getting? He's getting the wine that has turned. You don't serve good wine at a crucifixion. You, turn the, you serve the stuff that's turning to vinegar. There are positive interpretations that I'll, that I'll hear of this sometimes, that, that maybe you would drink this because it kind of slakes your thirst better than, better than wine on a hot day. Something a little bit more vinegary. I don't know. I don't want to drink vinegar. I tend to see it more as the people who nailed him there have another insult to give. Here, you're thirsty, drink some vinegar. Let every one of your senses be hurting and be suffering. Have a nasty taste in your mouth as you die. And what does Jesus do? It is the completion of all things. The one who has come into the world and is king of the world, we wanted him to come in power in his day. Would you come and would you, would you overthrow the Romans? That's what people thought. Would you come and would you just make everything right with a snap of your fingers? That's what we continue to think. But what Jesus does is he comes into the world and his throne is the cross. He comes into the world and his feast at his enthronement, his drink there is vinegar. And yet somehow, this is a true throne. 
And somehow this is truly his coronation wine because he is opening up a kingdom to all. All who have ever thirsted, God is with you. That means all of us. All of us, God is with us. Finally, in the season of Lent, I don't think that it's any um, accident that the scripture is specific, that they put this sponge full of wine on a branch of hyssop and they hold it to his mouth. In many of our churches, including this one, Psalm 51 is, is the psalm of confession that we use, especially on Ash Wednesday and throughout the season, and it says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. This is what is happening on the cross. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Jesus Christ has come and experienced all our needs, all our wants, all our desires. And he's given us life. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that not just emotionally, but by your spirit, every part of us would be drawn into your life. That by your spirit, you would witness to even our bodies and help our bodies be a witness to us that when we hunger and when we thirst, because of what Christ has done, we are being like our God. When we feed others, we are being like our God. When we are fed, we are being like our God. When we have needs that seem enormous, we are being like our God. When we have needs that seem insignificant, we are being like our God. Because you, Jesus Christ, have come into the world exactly like us, fully human like us, yet without sin. Let us cling to you that you may give us life. We pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.